Welcome to an episode of Tales from the First Tee. I'm your host, Rich Easton, telling tales from beautiful Charleston, South Carolina. In keeping with my cast a wider net strategy for season two, I seized the opportunity to talk with another one of my buddies whose passion for golf, like mine, is front and center in his life. The only difference is his skills match his passion. My co-host this week is Mike DiLombardo from Atlanta, Georgia. Not to be confused with Michael DiLeonardo, former mobster and capo from the Gambino family who turned government informant when, allegedly, the Gambino started cutting him out of the action. That's not this Mike. This Mike is from Baltimore, Maryland. Attended Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia, played on the golf team, and the weather just kept him there. Starts his life off in Baltimore, athletically as a lacrosse player, a defensive lacrosse player. As some of you know, playing lacrosse in Maryland, particularly the Baltimore area, is serious stuff. I mean, a lot of these teams end up being state champions, and being a state champion in lacrosse is a big thing in parts of the country. And that's the culture he's brought up in. But Mike gets to eighth grade, and he has different thoughts on his life. And he'll talk more about that in the interview. But before we get into the interview... I wanted to give props to this gal, Macy Pate, 16-year-old sophomore at Reagan High School for firing, now get this, a record-breaking 14 under par 57 to win the individual title at the Central Piedmont 4A Conference Championship. 57. The last time I carded a 57 was when I was playing lights out until a rainstorm came and I had to stop at the 12th hole. I think by that time I had a 57. She played all 18 holes, 14 birdies. Could you imagine that? Man, and imagine, my guess is she wakes up that morning, she goes to play, and she's probably feeling the same as any other day. She's a pretty good player before shooting a 57 to become one of the greatest players At her age, at least the lowest score ever recorded for a female golfer in any kind of championship. Bobby Wyatt and Alex Ross both achieved that in their junior championships years ago. But I'm all about current events. But imagine she goes to the course feeling the same way, practices probably the same way, most likely eats the same thing that she eats every day, whatever that was. And then all of a sudden she gets to the first hole, she swings her club, and bam, it comes off the face of her driver, and it felt like butter. Approach shot, perfect, felt the ball before the club hits the ground, ball flies up on the green, birdie, birdie, birdie. My guess is that it was the easiest round of golf she's ever played. Everything seemed easy. And I think in her post-game interview, she said she got the most nervous when she was putting on 15 or 16, which would have uh, put her on pace for a 59. All she had to do was to par the last two holes. 
and she would have had a 59. After that, the last two holes that she birdied were cake. And I don't know if any of you have ever had a few great holes, a few great rounds. When you have them, it just seems so easy. Nothing gets in the way of what you're thinking about, what you're visualizing, and what you do. And for any of you listening that have played golf with me recently, you've probably picked up on the fact that my putting confidence is not as high as it's been in the past, as evidenced by all my different putters I keep bringing out. There are so many times I am so unsure of where the ball is going to go, and that is probably just the symptoms of Charleston National. But you could you imagine Macy? Every time she got up to putt the ball, she looked at the line, she took the putter back, she made the putt, it went exactly where she thought it was going to go. So Macy, congratulations. What you've accomplished goes down in the record books. It can never be taken away. You are Macy who shot a 57 at 16 years old. It's a tale that you could tell the rest of your life. Whatever happens from this point on is just gravy. Maybe you get a scholarship to play golf at a prodigious university. Maybe you win the U.S. Women's Amateur. Maybe you hit the LPGA with the highest financial endorsement of any player, man or woman, entering into their rookie year. Maybe you lead the U.S. team to win a Solheim Cup. Maybe you become the first woman to compete in a PGA Tour event, make the cut, and go on to an incredible finish. Maybe you end up with the biggest winning streak on tour, including all majors. Maybe you do some of that, or maybe you do none of that. All I know is you just shot a 57 to win a tournament, the lowest round ever recorded in competition. Take that accomplishment and do with it what you please. Because anything and everything else is just gravy now. When Mike and I met, we were introduced through a mutual friend of ours, Sherry Nuttall, who is or was the event queen here in Charleston until recently, where she does a lot of her work um, remotely. Now, when she first introduced me to Mike, she said, hey, look, I got a friend coming in town. He's the one who runs some of these festivals that you've gone to. He likes to play golf. Could you see if you could get him out on Charleston National or play with him. And I was like, sure. You know, Shelly's a really good friend of mine. She's done a lot of great things for us. And I'm like, a friend of Shelly's is a friend of mine. So I'm like, sure, I'll spend some time and I'll play with this guy. Well, little did she tell me that Mike played golf on his high school team. Mike played golf on his college team. And Mike was considering going professional in the sport of golf. She didn't tell me those things, but she also didn't tell me what kind of personality this guy has. Um, and it's a good, it's a very friendly uh, personality. And look, to do what he does for a living, you have to get along with people. So imagine my surprise. We meet, we go to play at Charleston National. I had two other buddies, one that I had just met earlier 
um, that weekend, a guy that was down from the Boston area, his name is Chris. And while he's down here just kind of renting a place on Sullivan's, he gets his first shot, his COVID shot, and then he gets COVID. And he actually ends up in a hospital on a respirator. And this guy is thinking, is this the end? Makes it out, starts to get better. And he's sitting at a bar at Sullivan's after maybe a week or so getting out of the hospital, telling me, hey, I'd love to play golf. Um, you know, I got to get back into it now that I, I see there's a life for me in the future. So this guy, Chris, joins us as well. And I know every time that Chris comes down here, we'll play as well. So now I'm matched up. It's Chris, it's Mike, and it's another buddy of mine. And now we proceed to see Mike hit the ball. Didn't know what kind of player he was. Mike blasts his drive on the first hole. And I'm like, oh, this guy could play. Birdie's the first hole, birdie's the second. I believe he birdie's the third as well. I mean, this guy makes a statement. But even better than his golf, it was his personality and his ability to tell a story. And um, he just, he, he's captivating. And it's almost like you feel like, should we be playing golf or should I just be drinking with you and listen to some of these stories? Mike lives in Atlanta. He runs a successful events operation. And these events, for the most parts, are big parties. Big parties with a lot of alcohol and a lot of food. The Atlanta Wine Festival, the Charleston Wine Festival, the Charleston Mimosa Festival. I've been to two out of the three and have really enjoyed them. Mike knows how to throw a party. His formula, number one, hire the best people. As soon as you enter the grounds, you are met by these very positive, uplifting people welcoming you. You walk on the grounds and you go to all these different areas where they're serving different types of alcohol. The people that are working there are like your new best friends. He actually has vendors coming in that are uh, sampling their alcohol because they want to sell their alcohol uh, in Charleston. And these people are best of the best. So number one, hire the best people makes for the event. Number two, an entry fee you pay one time and you never have to pay for a drink once you've entered the grounds. Number three, don't run out of any booze. There's never a problem there. By the time we left and I was looking around, it looked like they were just starting to serve alcohol. I mean, they certainly had more than what they needed. Number four, popular food trucks. They line up these food trucks up on this hill right by where they're serving alcohol. And I mean, just a different array of foods, very popular trucks in the Charleston area. And the next one is live music. Mike has bands come up and play. And it just so happened uh, this Mimosa Festival was on a Saturday where there were some pretty good SEC and ACC football games. Mike had a big screen up there so that people could watch the games as well before the music started. And then a last one that he tried for the first time, it was a silent DJ. I've never done this before, but Tracy would tell me there are yoga classes where people put on these headphones and somebody is playing music. And if you just walk into the room and you don't have a headphone on... You could see people with these headphones all kind of nodding their head and their bodies to the same music. Well, the silent DJ was really cool. He does it under this pavilion. And we saw it. We're walking over and we see all these people with headphones on dancing, but we can't hear any music. 
It's really odd when you see people dance with no music until you put the headphones on. And these headphones are really cool because they actually had three stations. There was a DJ there spinning records, let's call it that, on three different songs at a time. And the way you could see what somebody else is listening to is by the color. On the headphones, there are three different colors. Let's call it red, white, and blue, just for the purpose of this. And you could tell... Well, first of all, people are mouthing a lot of the words. That's a first giveaway. But let's say you see all these people, they're all kind of dancing to the same song, and it's blue. And you you, you want to hear what they're dancing to. So you click this thing on your headphone to the color blue. Now you're listening to the same thing they're listening to. Well, it was fun. We went back twice. I mean, it's a blast. I mean, it is the perfect antidote. If you have shitty neighbors that are always calling the police when you have rage parties, is get these headphones, have a party. You'll never hear it. But boy, it was fun. So Mike's also venturing out into other things that bring people to places. And I'll let him tell the story. In this first interview, this is what we talked about. I go, Mike, listen, I have an hour. Mike was going to play a practice round for some event that afternoon. And I happen to have a golf match with some of the guys I really like to play with. So I go, Mike, we have an hour. I go, let's talk a little bit about golf uh, in your background of golf, because this is a golf podcast. And let's spend the rest of the time, maybe 20 minutes at the end, talking about all your events. Well, as you're going to hear from this interview, Mike and I talked about golf and his life the entire time. And he's such a good spinner of stories. And so, and look, he just tells it like it is. And he's got a really good take on things that it was hard to get off his stories about what led him into high school golf. It's a funny story. What led him into college golf? And then what was it like when he gets paired up with Adam Scott, who hadn't gone pro yet? Adam Scott was being taught by Butch Harmon, who was Tiger's coach. And he's at the University of Nevada or Las Vegas. And at this time, I think he's in his sophomore year. And Mike is the same at Emory. They end up in a tournament together up in Niagara Falls. And at that point, at at the end of that tournament, Mike had an epiphany. If guys going on tour are like Adam Scott, maybe I should rethink my future. So with that being said, here's my discussion with my co-host, Mike DeLombardo. And uh, my high school was was you know, very very competitive. In fact, the the year after I graduated, they were the uh, nationally uh, number one ranked team at the end of the year. And um, it just it was intense at that school. And I and I just kind of said, I don't love it. I, I want to play golf. And and I remember my dad saying, Well, you're not any good at golf. <laughs> that is a supportive dad. <laughs> right? Well. And it was, but he's it was honest. True, you guys though. had so an honest relationship with each other. Yeah, it it was true. I I, uh, I knew how to play as a kid. You know, um, in in camp, uh, there was a golf course that I went to a day camp, and and we would play golf, and and uh, I, I just kind of knocked it around on this little golf course. So I knew how to hit it forward. But um, when we went to spring break that year, freshman year, so before the golf season even really started. Uh, for the high school team, we went to spring break and we played four courses. And um, and my dad, he, he he got us on one course, and we were we were all excited because Michael Jordan was a member. 
we didn't even know how we got on, but it was like, oh, we're playing Jordan's course. Michael Jordan has to be a member of over 150 courses. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's <laughs> the, the other United thing. States. That's the other thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, that's probably cool, that time. This is this is 1993. You know, he's still playing basketball. So right. he, uh, in fact, they would they would win what the the third championship that summer, um, uh, the of the first three. And then he would retire. But yeah, so he probably he probably didn't have uh, hundreds like he does now. And of course, now he owns a course that's really sweet. So uh, right. I don't know. Maybe he's maybe he's scaling back on some of his memberships. But uh, but anyway, I just remember that. And 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 uh, but I didn't break one twenty. You know, so again, <laughs> I can play golf. Yeah, and, right. and we were keeping score, but but one twenty is not going to win you anything. Not even in high school. But but I went to my, my high school despite being a lacrosse powerhouse was pretty tiny. We had 250 kids total. And so for the golf team, if you had a, a bag and at least, I don't know, seven or eight clubs, you're on the team. I get Congratulations. it. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> You've made it. Just spice. And so it's a good start. So it's a small school. So it's not like Wando here. There's a high school right by right. in this area, over 4,000 students, or at least it was 4,000. They just broke it up, but there'd have to be over 3,000. Oh, and and in in um you know in a southern uh, city you you gotta you gotta be shooting around par I'm sure even in high school, um just because you know so many kids can play and and all that so but it, it was just it was and and it was different back then this is this is pre Tiger boom as well right um so not everyone was 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 into golf yeah, as, it wasn't as, as fashionable as, as it is now and you're not getting it, as now exactly. you're getting a lot of really good athletes that are playing golf whereas before. The better athletes were playing other, you know, team sports um, For sure. or things For that sure. were just posh. They were at the time athletes, if they wanted to play a singular sport, maybe they played tennis or wrestling or something like that. But team sports were football, basketball, baseball, things like that. So you decide, well, oh, hey, I want no wait. Didn't did your mom win some tickets and took you someplace? And that's what kind of got your juices flowing. That's right. Well, so the, the previous fall. Uh, she had a, um, a three day trip to, um, ocean city, Maryland. Uh, and we went in November and it was, it was like, you know, 55 Cold. degrees, but, <laughs> right. Cold. but I hit enough of those shots, right? I hit enough, uh, solid shots that, that I started to say, Oh, this is pretty cool. I'm having fun. And, and that was, yeah, that was kind of the catalyst, but, uh, but then it, it got, once I started playing, it was like, okay. And, and I had this learning curve that was just, you know, straight up. So, so if we're talking about March was the, the spring break and I couldn't break 120. By May, I think I shot a 42 in a match. Wait, this is two months of playing. Two months later. So, so at some point so in So you May, go from 60 you know, on nine to 42. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's two that's, shots a hole. That's, that's really good. <laughs> yeah. And and I remember the coaches being like, okay, all right, this guy, this guy's, you know. Did you take you know, lessons so, or was this just you focusing on hitting, not, going out and hitting yeah, the ball? Not, not at that time. It, reps, it was just reps. We were, we were going to the range and, and, you know, my dad was, was into golf. He was like an 18 handicap, but, um, uh, this kind of gave him the, the go ahead to, to play a lot more. So within the next you know couple of years, he went from an 18 down to like a nine, I think was the best he ever got because we, we were just playing all the time. And it was, he had to pass with my mom because, you know, uh, he was taking me. 
It wasn't like he was <laughs> abandoning the family. No, I had that with my son. It was the greatest. My son, Matthew. It was my pass. It was great. Um, yeah, so wait, absolutely. So, you're, so eighth grade, you're like 14. And were you over well, six feet at the time? Had you got your growth? No, no, no. So, yeah. So, so freshman year, I was like five foot eight and I, I weighed nothing. I was so skinny. I was 130 pounds or so. You know, maybe by the end of that year, I, I, I might be 5'10", um, you know, 140, 145. But, but that was it. So I'm not hitting the ball very far. Um, Did you play I with, you I, played with metal woods, right? You, it, this was past persimmon. It was real close to it. Okay, uh, right. The kind of the changing few, of the guards when TaylorMade came out with that. A few people had some. Yeah, yeah I remember I, I, I got this three wood off the rack at like um, – whatever sporting goods store. Yeah. Right. And that was my club for a while. And then, but then I remember my, my buddy who's actually a really good golfer, but he, he played lacrosse freshman year. He was a good, great lacrosse player. Um, but he was a, he was a top ranked, um, junior in the state. And, uh, and so he, he would, he would switch to golf and then, and and then play college golf like I did. But I remember him, him looking at my club and he kind of waggled it back and forth. And he was like, Whoa, this, you, this isn't going to work for very long because <laughs> it was, it was so, it was so, uh, the shaft was so, uh, flexible, you know, like, flexible. yeah, right. Like a regular or and, senior shaft or something. And, and yeah, I had to transition out of that as I, as I, you know, continued on, but, uh, it, it was just, just playing as much as we could and, and hitting balls and, and, you know, it was just a, a steep learning curve and, and, you know, learning how to putt and those things. And, um, that's, that's, that's a big thing. I think, uh, and I told you that the little course I grew up on had sand greens. Yeah, that's like are, it's hard for me to I haven't looked that up. It's hard for me to imagine. Like I know in the desert and when I say the desert, the Middle East, I know a lot of the military will play on courses that have sand greens. But I just can't imagine. Well, they just have. Yeah, they have sand everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good point. Right. So it's a little different. No, it, it, what it was, you know, back back at like the. Uh, the turn of the century in, in the early 1900s, a bunch of courses had them because it was super low maintenance. Um, and, you know, obviously, you know, they didn't have the equipment that we have now to cut grass greens and to do all the stuff. Um, so it, it it was more more prevalent. And then the, the just a little course decided uh, to keep it because it's so cheap. You know, the, the, the budget for the golf course, I think they run on a maintenance budget of like, you know, 40 grand a year or something. It's um, like Charleston National, I think. So yeah. <laughs> uh, they do the best job for the least amount of staff. It's incredible. Right. <laughs> so explain this to me. So like a sand green, do they, is it like crushed gravel where they have to go over no. and roll? Because like when I think of sand, I think of it like it comes up, like when you're walking at the beach. It's exactly. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's like a hard clay base that somehow just stays, stays there. It doesn't go anywhere. Um, you know, not, it's not concrete, but it kind of feels like it. And then you put sand over top, like uh, sand trap sand. And then I was actually, I was actually the the greenskeeper for for a while as a kid. I would wake up early, about seven o'clock, go and get the equipment, which was a um, a modified welcome mat, if you can imagine, just a brown like. Um, you know, the basic welcome mat with the wicker. I, I, yeah, I don't sure. know how to explain it. No, but I have in um, my mind, I imagine what it is. Yeah, and then yeah. what would you do with so, the mat? Well, well, so it had a pole attached to it and then a rope. And so I would drag it behind me and, and you start, you start in the middle and you do, 
you know, you do circles out and then you have a smooth surface. And then for tournament play, we would water the greens because then that would just kind of keep the sand down and smooth and, and flat. And it wouldn't, um, it wouldn't dune up or, you know, kind of pile up, which it would in the afternoon. Was it and, like a and, fast and, serve, uh, surface in the morning? Like, st- would it stamp uh, like yeah, over it, 10? It, probably and, right around there. Probably right around wow, there. Okay. Um, and, and remember, the, these greens are, are, are like uh, maybe 10 steps in diameter, you know, so they're tiny. Um, so you gotta, you gotta kind of bounce it in there cause they're not going to hold a ball cause they're so firm. So you got to bounce it in there. And then, um, and then the rule is you can tap down any sort of, you know, blemish or, um, uh, or smooth out, you know, if there's a little, little sandcastle being made or whatever. <laughs> um, so, well, so anyway, so every, every putt is basically straight, you know, there, there may be a couple of holes that, that, um, uh, have a, uh, have a little, little lean to them. I don't know. Oh, can you hear that dog in the background? Yeah. That's your uh, doodle, uh, right? Gold, yeah. <laughs> golden doodle. Yeah, right, right. 60 pounder. She's, yeah. she's wanting to go on her morning walk. Oh, and we're screwing, to... <laughs> we're screwing that up for her. Sorry. Exactly. Her I'm sorry. So, um, so I'll try and keep her quiet, but, but so, so that was part of the thing. So when I was a kid, it was all flat putts. And so, when, when we went down, you know, and I played on grass greens, I, you know, literally a handful of times before that spring break trip freshman year. And so that was a big part of it. I didn't know how to read a putt or, you know, hit, hit a long putt. I mean, think about if, if, uh, uh, if, if the green's only 10 feet in diameter, like the longest putt you're going to have is about a 15 footer. Well, let me tell you, I've so, putted with you three different times and you've made it, you've made an incredible improvement. And we're going to talk about yeah. your putter in a second. <laughs> like, like you, I don't think like other than the Muni and you got to take that and you got to put that aside, you know, putting right. on the Muni because that's like a putt putt course. But you one and two putt most every green with this magic putter that you have. So anyway, <laughs> you start off, you don't know undulation, you don't know cant, you don't know any of those things because you're not used to it. And you had to right. learn, right? So, so you taught yourself. So that, that that probably led to those 120 plus scores. And that, that's <laughs> how, you know, once you just kind of at least get the get the, the gist down, you know, and and can start two putting instead of four and five putting, you know, you're, you're going to drop a lot of strokes. So that was that was part of it for sure. I, you know what? I hadn't even really even thought of that when as I tell this story every now and again. Uh, but I think that that's probably the major reason. Right. I, I didn't know how to putt on big undulating greens. And, you know, then then I could. <laughs> right. Then you <laughs> with, figured with just, it out. Yeah, with just the, you know, the basics, right? All and, right, so now it, you it get your score like down. I was a great putter. But. Yeah, so now you get your score. Now it's down to 42, and you're like, okay, I'm better than I used to be. And how are the other kids on the team? Were they shooting, anybody shooting in the 30s on nine holes, or is it mostly low 40s, mid 40s? So I'm trying to think who those players were. So we, uh, I, I was like the five, six man. Um we had we had a number one player who was a senior, and I bet he could break eighty. But we're you know we're talking seventy eight. We're not talking anything good. And he was probably shooting in the low eighties uh, for you know as an average. And, and we weren't. We got drubbed by everybody. I, I remember you're such a small school and you're competing against yeah, this yeah big, we just big yeah pools. we just got we just got beat because yeah we didn't have anybody and and. Um, I think I remember there was a match. We played a pretty good team. And I think it was when I shot the 42 
I earned us, you know, half a point. It was match play. So I earned us like half a point somehow. And that's, and that, uh, uh, stopped us from being blanked. (laughs) (laughs) All right. But that's Um, like a feather in your cap. That's like, okay, I could do this. Yeah, exactly. So, well, and then school's out. Well, guess what I'm doing? I'm playing golf every day. You know, I'm, I'm going after this and, and, um, you know, so, so I became one of those kids. I got dropped off at the course, you know, at eight in the morning and, uh, Hey, see at five or whatever. Um, not every day, but, but as much as we could. And there was a, there was a, a public course, um, near where we were in the summer. And then, uh, you know, my dad would take me as much as he could. You know, he was, he was playing client golf. Um, nice. He was a salesman. Oh yeah. And so he, he would bring me along, you know, especially now, at least I was, you know, in the game, I was shooting in the eighties or nineties. You weren't slowing things down. It wasn't an embarrassment. It's like, Hey, look at my son. Look at Mikey. Look what Mikey can do. (laughs) (laughs) Well, prior, prior to that, I think I played, excuse me, um, two or three times and it was more about driving the cart. You know how that is. That's cool. Yeah. Kid. Well, my kids, we, I started my kids driving the cart and then at the turn, they get a hot dog. And that to them we, was more fun than trying <laughs> to swing a golf exactly. club. Well, we, I don't know if you noticed, we had one of those behind us on, uh, on Sunday. Um, there was a little girl, she had to be seven or eight years old, stretching, stretching her legs to get to the gas pedal. Right. Um, where she just, just, just got a little, little That's bit. That's fun. Uh, that's fun. Hey, look, seat. if you could get your oh, kid yeah. interested in wanting to come out there and if it's driving oh, the cart, whatever that is, loving it. they're out of the house. They're not on their phones. They're whatever they're, they're not playing games, you know, video but, so, games. Yeah. So, so then, uh, so, so I did break 80 that summer, right towards the end of the summer. Nice. Um, so again, from 120 to 78, uh, in a, in a six month span, I guess. For all you um, golf fans, all you got to do is spend <laughs> every day. You got to want to do it. You got to want to do it and then just spend as much time as you can. Now, did you practice as well or did you play more than you practiced? I definitely played more than I practiced um, because I didn't have access to like a good driving range. Um, But, uh, but, you know, putting green and yeah, I mean, I was just, I was trying to get good. And, uh, and then. So by your um, senior year in high school, you got pretty good. Correct. Yeah. So, well, so just, just to, we'll, we'll, we'll go real quick through the steps. So the next yeah. year, of course I get a driver's license. Well, now I can play whenever I want. Uh, yeah, Cause freedom. I got a car, I got, I got, I got freedom. Right. So what was your first car? Uh, and that, uh, it was a, um, Dodge Plymouth minivan. Nice. <laughs> a lot of room. You didn't care. Hey, that's your freedom. And that is freedom on wheels. That's right. Yeah. We, Mine I was a Buick. Out, oh, yeah. I had a Buick Wildcat, yeah, and I, I must have ruined the <laughs> transmission in that thing. It was like, it was my mom's old car, and she just gave it to my brother and I. So go ahead. So now you got this minivan, and now oh, yeah. you, you and, got this freedom. And I think we, I, I was able to get like a junior membership. There was a course that my dad had, had played a bunch um, that gave out a bunch of, um, literally free memberships to juniors. It was like a hundred, you know, maybe a hundred of us or so. And that was their thing. They were, you know, they were given back, so to speak to, to junior golf. Yeah. And so I, I had, you know, I had free rent, uh, you know, rain of the place. I would just go and, and say, Hey, I'm, I'm ready to play. I, you know, I didn't get a tee time or anything. And they'd, they'd uh, just match me up with a twosome or a threesome, or um, I'd, you know, find some other kid to play with. And, and um, I was just off and running. And, um, uh, 
And, All right, so and, now you got the car. Now you're playing more. And yeah, now you go well, into so, yeah. Well, so so ended up breaking seventy that summer. Shot a sixty nine right towards fucker. the end of the summer. <laughs> That's really good. I still haven't done that. Good. Um, and I've got all the free. This is like retired Richie. I got all the free time in the world. But again, I don't have a sixteen year old body that could just keep going and going. That's right. That's right. And and so, um, so then and then it was like, okay, well, next summer I'm going to play a lot of tournaments. And so, um, you know, I started signing up for everything that would take me, and. And, you know, that's, you know, starting to play with better players and, and people are talking about playing in college and doing different things. And, um, uh, and, you know, it was, Hey, you got to play tournaments. And, and so that's what I did. And, and, um, you know, just continue to get better. And, and, and as, as we talked about briefly, I think the other day, I mean, tournament golf is a different game. You got to count every stroke. And I kind of had to learn, you know, how to, how to handle that. Um, and there yeah, were, you, had to, you, you know, have to just, manage the bad holes and the bad shots too. Which all is, that, yeah, I think that's that the hardest. Stuff. I'm talking all to, just to uh, cut in, I'm talking to this, this guy, this kid is my partner on Tuesday nights when we play in this league and it's a two man scramble and this kid could hit the ball incredibly well. And when he goes out by himself, he'll shoot like a 70, 72. But then we get into these Tuesday night when the pressure's on and you have to do it. He's not used to that. It's a different game. So then every once in For a while, sure. there's a shank. There's a shot that he's never seen before. And he plays in the club championship this past weekend. And he said he's like one under par on the front nine. He gets to the back. He hits a bad shot. It's out of bounds. He has to go back to the tee box. Meanwhile, the foursome behind them are coming up. The pressure on this kid is incredible. He hits another bad shot, hits it into those traps. Can't get out. Can't get out. He pulls his ball up. He pockets it and he goes, I'm done. (laughs) That's it. He quits. So pressure. And any kind of tournament play is so different than just playing your yeah. ball, playing with your buddies. So go ahead. So now you're doing these tournaments. And, you know, and then um, reaching out to to colleges and, and it was, you know, it was a different time of year. Now there's all sorts of online programs and you upload your video and coaches can see you and all this stuff. It, you know, we had the, the U.S. News and World Report book or whatever it was. And I, I did have a, a decent college counselor. And, and uh, when it came time to apply for colleges, I, I had a couple that I had, um, at least had conversations with coaches. And so I went through the application process and, and he threw um, he said, hey, uh, Emory University down in Atlanta is on the, the common application. That was a new thing where you could just basically photocopy and send it to multiple schools. Oh, no kidding. That's he said, changed. He said, send one in. Right. He said, send one, send one to them. And um, uh, so I did not knowing anything about the school. And, um, you know, on the application, it says, what are your interests? You know, golf, you know, basketball. And so the admissions department sent back questionnaires. OK, you know, are you interested in playing golf and, and basketball at Emory? And I said, yeah, I am. And so I, I filled out, you know, a, a larger questionnaire about my, you know, my, basically my golf and basketball resume, so to speak. Well, your grades and had so to it, be pretty good, too, because Emory's not easy to get into. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was uh, 3.8 or whatever and, and uh, decent SATs. And, and so I, I, I certainly qualified. Um, and uh, and, and the, the golf coach at the time, um, he was well, he was the only golf coach the, the, the school had ever had. They started the program in 80, 1986. He was also helping out with the basketball team. So he, so this comes across his desk that, oh, here's a kid who's, who's interested in playing both sports. 
And so he gives me a call and he says, you know, he says, Hey, you got your, got your form here. Um, you know, it looks like you, you've got some good golf scores. You got some good, you know, good basketball, you know, um, resume, whatever, uh, you know, what are you thinking? And I was like, Hey, yeah, I'm just trying to figure it out, you know? And so he, he kind of convinced me to come to come down to Atlanta and check it out. And, and I just kind of went through that process and, um, the, the team at the time was, was getting better. Um, so now golf or um, basketball you're talking about golf. Yeah. The basketball team was terrible, (laughs) (laughs) but, but that kind of, you know, I, I had visions of playing both sports because I really did love basketball. Now were you, it would have been, how tall were you now your senior year? Because now, what are you, six, six five, six six? Yeah, so yeah, so I was six five at the time, and 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 I had, you know, because I hadn't like been super tall all the way through. I, you know, I had, had that huge growth spurt. I I was playing um, like a guard, um, uh, point guard or shooting guard at six five, and but I had to play center on my tiny high school team. Um, and so I ended up, I, I, I called it at, at the time, Magic Johnson had come back, you know, uh, for his second stint after the HIV, yeah. um, you know, break or whatever. And uh, they called him a point center. Uh, I don't know if you remember, he had gained sure. like, oh, he gained he a bunch gained of like yeah. six, 60 pounds. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I remember his first game when he came back, it was a little sloppy. Yeah, but you yeah, love the yeah. guy. So, and you're good, glad he's back. So that was me. I was yeah. I was a point center because I, I was the best ball handler on, on the team, but I was also the tallest. And so I had to, had to defend the tallest guy, and I, and I was actually a really quick jumper. So I, I averaged like five blocks a game. Nice. Um, uh, now of course we weren't playing, um, you know, top ranked teams. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, blocks a block. Um, well, so, <laughs> I remember my my coach used to. He said, you know, deny you got to deny the, the 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 pass. I said, coach. If I let him get the ball, I'll block it. He's like, that's not how we play. I go, okay. And so I pretend like I was denying the ball, let right. him get it. But you're and, the, and then it. you blocked it. Yeah. It was like that shot you hit at the Muni. You hit this one shot and it's going to the green, going to the green, hits the very top where the, where the, uh, the sand trap was and just throws it in. It was like a Matumbo <laughs> moment. Right. Remember that? It was like denied. Right. All right. So now you, now you go to school. Now you're playing this, uh, this, uh, you know, shooting, uh, center. So when you get the ball on offense, right. are you not center anymore? Are you now a guard? Well, it was, we, we ran this thing where I would, uh, I would help out the point guard. And so I would, I would kind of stop at the top of the key. And if I had a, an open three, I would take it. Oh, yeah, um, right. or I could cut down to the lane and kind of get into the offense. But the, the thing was, I wasn't, uh, I was so skinny. It was tough for me to be a post player because I just didn't have, you know, somebody could muscle me. Right. Um, and I didn't, I just didn't have, uh, the, the weight and the muscle to, to really, you know, be a strong, you know, player in there. I, I remember we had a kid on our team who was, who was probably, you know, 5'10, but, but he was just all, you know, just all muscle. And he would, you know, he was actually good at boxing out. And, you know, so he ended up getting almost as many rebounds as I did <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> That's also a sign to I'm, you. There's a sign. Yeah, and of course, I'm, like, I'm focused on, all, you know, running the whole running the whole game basically for our team. And, and uh, you know, so I was all over the place, but um, and having a having a blast doing it. Um, so uh, and, and, and that was the thing we had. We had a bunch of lacrosse players on the team. We didn't have a bunch of basketball players. 
So, um, so we just had to make do and we did. Okay. Uh, and then in, in a, in a disappointing end, I, I sprained my ankle with five games left and, uh, and missed, missed the end of my senior year. So, so, which was pretty disappointing, but, um, but anyway, yeah, moving on for basketball. Then, then we started playing golf and that, that senior year, we won the team championship and, um, you know, just had a great time with that. And then, uh, um, so then, now you know, the senior year, college, you know, like, yeah, now golf, you know you're going to Emory, right? You know you're going to Emory. You know now at Emory, are you going to play both sports or are you just going to play golf? Well, that was that was my idea, and 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 we talked about it. It was Division three, and so there's no scholarships, and so uh, I remember the basketball coach. He was he was pretty he was pretty loose. Um, I I did you know go into his office and I chatted with him when I was there to visit. And he's like, look, I, I see you're, what you're doing, and it looks like you're, you're definitely playing golf, right? And I said, yeah. you know. And he goes, okay, well, we'll see how that goes for you. And he kind of had a wink and a, and a nod, and, he, and, uh, and he's like, you know what? There's no pressure. You know, if you want to play, I'm, I'm sure you could help the team, but um, you know, we'll see what happens. And, of course, um, after, after freshman season, I actually got, you know, I got to play a couple tournaments, did okay, and, um, and it was uh, – it was pre preseason conditioning for basketball. It was like, it was like 10 days of just running before you went in, even went into the gym. I remember those days. Um, and yeah, that was, I that was in like, high a, school. Yeah. yeah, that was NCAA that. rule. You could, you could do that. Right. And so like the first two days I go out and I'm running and it's like, it's like 75 and sunny cause it's October in Atlanta. Right. Um, and, and I'm, I'm coming home, I'm tired. And I was like, huh, I really could have played golf today. It was, it was a hell of a beautiful day. And, and it just, it just kind of dawned on me that, yeah, I think golf's the thing. And, um, I went into the office and said, coach, I'm going to focus on golf. And he, he kind of looked at me and he's like, yeah, I kind of had, I kind of thought that was coming. <laughs> <laughs> when the team were sprinting and you're kind of looking outside going, man, I'd rather be somewhere well, else. And that's the thing. Yeah. I, I said, I said, I said, look at that weather coach. I gotta be playing golf. He goes, yeah, no, Atlanta's great. He goes, go have fun. You know, we'll, we'll That's, be okay over that here That is the pretty cool. Team. Yeah, I played at D3. I played <laughs> lacrosse at a D3 school. And yeah, it's kind of relaxed, which I like. I don't think, first of all, I don't. wasn't good enough to play D1. But even if I did, it's like a, it's a full-time commitment. It's like you're playing a pro sport. Now it is. Certainly now it's changed. And that, well, I it, certainly it, didn't it, have that mindset, um, leaving the house for my first independence of four years to want to continue the discipline that I had had. And now to do it almost professionally, that wasn't for me. Right. Well, so uh, I'll tell you what, Emory and Division Three has changed. Uh, get, get a load of this one. So we, we just had the, the uh, golf team alumni weekend uh, was a couple weeks ago. And we played um, a nice course Friday. We played East Lake on, on Saturday. Nice. Um, you know, tour championship course. Sure. And, and um, the team has a little bit of access out there. And so they play they play out there uh, half, half a dozen times a semester or so. And so it's a nice, nice feature for them. Um, they're, 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 I think they will be the number one ranked team in the country division three. When it, when the new rankings come out, they just won a tournament this past weekend. But anyway, so Sunday of the alumni weekend was at the, our home course, which is smoke rise where I'm also a member. And I got out there early and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of one of the first guys and I, I walk out and there's, there's the Emory, the team bags are around the putting green, but there's no, there's no kids. I'm, I'm, I'm looking, I'm like, what, what is going on? Did they leave these bags overnight? 
you know, it's like, this is like seven forty-five in the morning, eight o'clock, whatever it was. Yeah. And you know, we had, we were, we were teeing off at about nine. I think we were doing like a little, little mini shotgun or whatever. Were there, and, were there clubs in the bags or just bags? Yeah. 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 Huh? They're, you know, they're, they're just, they're, they're all, you know, they, they got the stands on them, of course. So they're just, they're just all around the putting green. I'm really confused. And then at about eight thirty, they, they come down from like the dining room and um, they had a 7.30 meeting with a sports psychologist on yeah. a Sunday morning. And D3, things have changed. On a Sunday morning. I, I right. just started commitment. laughing. I, said, I know. I said, what is going on? I said, this is this is not how I played college golf. <laughs> no, Sunday mornings for me were just an extension of Saturday night. <laughs> Usually exactly. coming we, in or that walk, yeah, of, we, we walk play, of shame. Yeah, we. you know, our, our thing was um, – uh, as long as we played before church let out, we could, we could get a tea time. So I think we would tee off about 1145 on a Sunday or something like that. So, but anyway, yeah, that's, so that's what D3 golf is now is 730 AM sports psychology wow. meeting on a, yeah. on a Sunday before, before they are round with the alumni, <laughs> by wow. the way, which is supposed to be a fun, you know, kind of a fun round. Right. But, and these uh, guys are going through their mantras on the first tee after the meeting. <laughs> So is um, is uh, do you even though it's D three and it's in the South? Is it a full year program where you, I know you compete in the fall, but do you have spring golf as well? Yes, right. So there's there's fall tournaments. They play about four fall tournaments and then uh, six tournaments, including the national championship in the spring. Yeah. Um, and then there's all sorts of rules on what they can and can't do with coach or you know when and you know there, there's dates where. You know, it's full practice or, you know, during the winter, it's on your own practice. Um, and, the you know, uh, I think the team captains kind of organize stuff or whatever, but the coaches can't be there. Um, and, uh, you know. If, so if you let me ask caught, you a question about get, coaching in and golf. So I've never played on a golf team, but I know what coaches uh, helped me with in lacrosse. Right. It was mostly the uh, mental aspect of it more than the physical. Um, what do golf coaches do for you in college? What, what do they, what value do they add other than the, just the coordination and then the picking of who's going to play? Sure. Um, well that, yeah, that's a big part of it. The, lo the logistics of, of going to tournaments and selecting tournaments and all those things are, are, are kind of big. Um, our, our coach, um, who's, who's now been, I think this is 10th year, um, is a PGA pro. Um, so he, he went to college at Methodist university, which has a professional golf management program. And he went through that process and, and got his PGA, um, PGA of America card. And so he is qualified, uh, to, um, uh, you know, to be a, a teaching pro. And so he will help kids with their swings. And, you know, some of the guys, they may have their guy back home that they work with or, um, or, or they may want to work with somebody, you know, one of the, the, the hot, the hot pros here in Atlanta or whatever, but, but he has the ability to, you know, to be their, their PGA pro. Um, and then, you know, he's organizing practice and, and, and they're doing a lot of short game stuff. Um, it's, it's funny the the range at, at, at our course, smoke rise, um, uh, has, he went out, he got these pallets and he, and he put them as additional targets. Um, so they, they spend a lot of time on wedge work, you know, inside of a hundred yards, just trying to hit these pallets, mm. um, out on the range. And, uh, uh, you know, they, 
you, you can tell he's doing a good job because the kids who come here, like the, their number one player now did not come in as a number one caliber player. Um, and now he's a senior and he's, you know, one of the top five players in the country. So something good he, is happening. He's developing oh, players. Abs- he's absolutely. helping them develop. I and mean, that's a really good coach. Absolutely. Just helps yeah. somebody do what he thinks they can do and just kind of guides them along the way. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. So let's and, talk. And he's a great guy. Yeah. So he's a great guy too. He he was able. We we played a ton during COVID uh, when neither of us had anything to do. Um, <laughs> we played a bunch together. Hey, it you was know, the, the it was like down here. It was the only thing people could do for at least six months, and that's oh, the yeah. sport I, of golf. Just just uh, it was like a springboard when COVID hit. People came I out. They very, had to do was, something. For sure. I was very thankful, you know, as, as Maryland and a lot of the, some of the Northern states shut down golf for, you know, I think like two months, yeah. you know, until the science came out and said, Hey, golf is, you know, very, very, very safe, close to a hundred percent safe from COVID. Um, as long as you're smart about it and all those things. So, uh, but, but we never shut down and, and that was, that was huge. Cause I was, I, I would have been, uh, losing my mind. <laughs> I was reading something like a month or so ago about how when the course is shut down in maybe 25% of the United States for two months, total golf was up like 20%. So in the remaining states where you could play, oh yeah, people played a shit ton. And I'd see it at Charleston National. I'd see people, first of all, people are working remotely, which means like playing hooky became an art and everybody right. is out there playing midweek. And it was packed from like seven in the morning until five thirty, six o'clock at night, not an open tea time. So, uh, yeah, it was good for the sport. It still is. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, uh, but I got to say, I'm, I'm glad that has receded. Um, I played, played a three hour and 15 minute round yesterday afternoon, which, which wasn't happening during COVID. Yeah. Um, I only can do that at Charleston <laughs> National midweek. Like, and it yeah. has to be like early afternoon. And then you could do that, but then you come to like Saturday or Sunday and it's five, which is hard. Once For you play sure. three and a half, sure. you get used to this flow, this just going up to your ball, teeing it up, hitting it, going in the fairway, looking, you know, just the continuous play is kind of nice to get that rhythm. Absolutely. So tell me, so um, we have 20 more minutes, a little less than 20 minutes for this first interview. I want to get to your parties, but I got to hear, I want you to replay for me a decision that you made about not going professional after playing with Adam Scott. So talk to me a little bit about that. Sure. So, um, so during the summers, um, I, uh, I would play as many good tournaments as I could. I traveled around all over the Northeast. Um, I would get into some, I would have to go play qualifiers, uh, for some, and I actually did, did, uh, had some pretty good luck with qualifiers. I, um, uh, uh, made it through to the Western amateur one time I made it. Mm-hmm. And then, so, and then this tournament with Adam Scott was the Porter cup, which was in Niagara Falls, New York. Um, geez, I think the course was Niagara Falls country club, but I might be wrong on that. It was a nice, I think it was like a Tillinghouse, an old, um, old Tillinghouse course. Um, funky greens, even at it, yeah. Uh, small, small, small greens. Yeah. Um, you know, it wasn't one of the big courses and it, it, it wasn't particularly long, um, you know, at the time. And this is, this is before the pro V one, this is 1999. Um, 
but you know, but, but you could tell, so, so the guys who hit it long earned it is kind of, is kind of my point on that. And, and, um, yeah. So not everybody could hit it the way they're hitting it. Not everybody's hitting it over right. 300, probably 270 right. or 280 exactly. is a great exactly. drive. Yeah, exactly. So, um, uh, so I qualified in, in tournament, did, did shoot a 69 a couple weeks prior to the tournament. And so that was good on, on the same course and, uh, played the first two rounds and, you know, kind of my average back then was, you know, 73, 74, 75, you know, those, yeah, those so you're always flirting and, with par. Yeah. Well, in, in, in tournaments, you know, it's always a little tougher and sure. I would have some good tournament scores, but, but yeah, my average was, yeah, maybe 73 and a half, something like that. So so I shot a 74 and a 75 in the first two rounds. And, and normally that would, that would be a missed cut and I'd be heading home, but this, this tournament had a limited field. And so there was no cut. And so I got to, got to play two more rounds. And, um, and that after the second round, uh, the tournament was nice enough that like, the whole little city of Niagara Falls, New York, which is not a very big place, kind of embraced this tournament. It was front page news on the Niagara Falls Gazette or whatever. Yeah. So it's a big <laughs> whatever deal. Whatever the paper right? yeah. was, you know, you know, who, who the leader was and a, you know, nice big picture of whoever, whoever shot the low score that day. And, um, and so the whole kind of town took care of us. And, and so, um, uh, if you, it was an optional uh, thing, but if you wanted to go to the maiden of the mist, which is the boat that goes to the bottom of Niagara Falls and, and get you right up, right up next to him, you know, the tournament was hosting us. And so we, we hopped on a, hopped on a, a bus and, uh, and, and went down there and, and, uh, and we're standing around on the deck, uh, to get on these boats. And, and I was telling you, I, I knew all these guys, you know, there, there were some top ranked players and I was, I was, you know, reading golf week magazine and I, I knew what everybody, who everybody was and what they were, you know, where they were ranked and all these things. And so, so I recognize who Charlie Hoffman is, and I recognize Adam Scott. Did Charlie Hoffman have long hair back then when he was in college? It was shaggy. Yeah, yeah right. I can't remember. I just I mean, remember he when was, he came he out on same. tour, he had that look of like the surfer yep. boy. Yeah. Yeah, he was He was the same guy because we're only talking about it, yeah, a, a, a year or two before he turned pro. Right. And um, and I knew they played for UNLV, and I, I, I can't remember if they'd won the national championship or they, they were certainly, you know, ranked in the top five, if not one. Uh, with those two guys on the team. And I think they had, you know, one or two others that names you might recognize, but that I've forgotten. And, um, and so, uh, Charlie asks Adam and I'm standing right there, but, but, and they have no idea who I am. Of course, he says, what time's your tea time? And Adam says eight twenty. Now that's a Saturday and morning tea time, which usually Saturday is not reserved for guys who are leading the tournament, right? Correct. Correct. <laughs> so, he didn't ask him what he shot because he, I, I guess he figured it was a good score. So he just said, what's your tea time? And when he said 820, Charlie Hoffman just starts laughing. <laughs> I could and see that with him. He says, 820? Just what did you shoot? And, and so Adam Scotch says 74, 75, which is exactly what I shot. And I knew I was playing with him and, and I was, it was kind of cool. I was like, I'm playing with the number three ranked amateur in the world tomorrow. Yeah, but here, but here's Charlie. And that Hoffman didn't make laughing. you nervous, but that didn't make you nervous. That that kind of got you psyched you, up. You know, I was thinking about that cause, as as because because I, I hadn't told the story in a while, and I was like, I, I kind of I I should have made it a bigger deal. Like I didn't call my dad and say, Hey, I'm playing with the number one, number three ranked player tomorrow. I just kind of went about my business, and and maybe that was kind of you know my hubris as a as a 
as a player, even, even, you know, while. Yeah. While like I'm, I deserve uh, to be here. Of course I'm playing with yeah, this guy. One of sure. those. Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> yeah, right. Something like that. Right. Mind, so no least. big deal. No big deal. I'm, yeah. You know, you know, Hey, Adam Scott gets to play with me tomorrow. <laughs> That's how I was looking at it. That's the way I'd look at so, it. Sure. But, but here, but here's Charlie Hoffman basically laughing at us. He doesn't know he's laughing at me, but he's, yeah, he right, is. Cause you're playing with Adam. That's right. Because I've got the same tea time. Yeah. And so he just kind of, so he just, he, he didn't stop laughing for like 30 seconds and, you know, and they, and then Adam Scott finally like punches him in the shoulder and he's like, you know, with an Australian accent, like I've had a couple of tough days, man, you know, get <laughs> off my back type of thing. And so, uh, um, meanwhile, so, you're shooting your average score. He's having, a meanwhile, that's just, that's just right. me being me. That's just right. me being yeah. me at 74, 75. Right. You know? Nobody's laughing Not, at you. Well, here. he was, but he didn't like, he wasn't directed <laughs> at you. Right. <laughs> Uh, right. He didn't, he didn't know me well enough to laugh at me for sure. Um, but, uh, uh, so we wake up early and, and, and we're teeing off and, and right away, I mean, um, uh, the guy's swing looks like tiger and because because Butch Harmon, right? Because he's working with Butch Harmon in Las Vegas. Oh, that makes sense. So, um, Hey, for $2,000, you could work with him too for a half hour. Exactly. Exactly. I think, I think he gave college adam scott a better deal uh and then and then started charging a minute when it was pro adam scott i think that's probably what happened right but um uh you know birdie's the first hole you know hits it to three feet you know comes back second hole birdies it um you know like uh, you know what he did on the second hole he holds out a bunker shot i go okay no that's 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 yeah this after a while you're starting to say hey this is not luck (laughs) this is what he's doing is just not lucky this is what he normally does Oh, he was, he was making a move. I mean, that was, you know, you could just, it, it was one of those things you could see it on his face. Like I'm making a move today. How was he and, to play? Was he, uh, do, first of all, when you're competing in these tournaments, do guys talk to each other or do they get like tiger where they kind of ignore each other and they're cordial and they're like getting out of each other's way, not doing stuff to impinge on the other person, but no dialogue. Well, well, that's, <clears throat> you know, everybody's different, of course. And even on the PGA tour, you got your, you know, your Rocco mediates out there who won't right. stop talking, right. but, um, Adam Scott didn't appear to be a talker. So in the third hole, we're walking down and I, I just tried to, I tried to, you know, test the waters. And I said, so, uh, going to college in Las Vegas, that's, that's gotta be fun. Right. And what do you, when you say that, cause we've talked about, I'm thinking if somebody said that to me and I was going to a school like that, I'd be like, dude, the chicks here are awesome. We get to go well, down right. to, you know, I'd have all of these things that I'd be talking about, but that's not what he said, was it? Exactly. I'm, yeah. I'm opening the door to, to, he can tell me gambling stories. He can tell me <laughs> casino stories. Yeah. You know, he could tell me, you know, sweet restaurant stories, whatever he wants to do. But he looks at me, he looks away and he kind of looks back and he says, I don't really like college. I don't think I'm going back. And this is this is like July fifteenth. I remember because uh, the British Open with um, your boy Jean Vandeveld was <laughs> My the boy. same weekend. Yeah, what a great what a great that fourth was, day of play. Like it, it goes in everybody's memory of what not to do. His caddy, I'm like I've never heard of his caddy again. I don't know if that continued to be his caddy, but if I was his caddy, I'd be like, hey, settle down, take a yeah. drop, take a penalty, a four <laughs> up on the other guy, just take a penalty, well, take so it I, easy. I missed. I missed the whole thing. Remember, he was up by 10 shots, I think. Oh, yeah. It was, um, it was four or, four or six or, on the last day. I think it was four well, or six. Well, so, um, yeah, I forget. Uh, the, Paul Laurie was, was 10 back. 
Oh, right? the guy who won it. Yeah, right. The right. guy who won it. And so I do remember that. But I spent um, I spent that Sunday afternoon in the car driving seven hours from Niagara Falls, New York, back to Annapolis, Maryland. And so I missed the whole thing. And so when I got home and I said, oh, that, that French guy win? No. And my dad, my dad was like, let me tell you. <laughs> And so, you know, I watched Sports Center that night and got the whole rundown or whatever. But um, anyway, so back to back to Adam Scott. This is June, or, or sorry, July eighteenth. Call it, you know, somewhere in there. You know, hey, college is starting in about six weeks, by the way. And he's telling me, I, I don't think I'm going back. I had that and, same uh, feeling every year, but it wasn't because I was going <laughs> pro. <laughs> it's just because there were so many other so, fun things to do. Yeah. You know, so I kind of forgot about it. And, 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 and then of course, I mean, that was kind of the end of our conversation, by the way. And, uh, wow. and then I just, you know, proceeded to watch him. He got to seven under through, um, through 11, uh, 11 holes, call it, uh, call it 12 holes. So he's seven under through 12. The 13th hole is a reachable par five for him, especially reachable. And um, he proceeds to um, butcher the hole, something fierce, and make a bogey. And it kind of derailed his his bid for 59 because it was a par 70. He only needed four more birdies, um, which would have been something. And um, and he kind of got he, – he, he was pretty angry, and he kind of got derailed a little bit. And then, um, you know, I think he, he, he bogeyed one or two more holes before kind of riding the ship and, and, you know, making two birdies ends up shooting 65, uh, which, which moved him up the leaderboard, uh, a, a long way. And what did you shoot? Uh, another 75. Yeah. So right up here, right, you were being you. <laughs> it was perfect. So, so 10, 10 strokes shots. difference, right? So the, my the guess is on Sunday. That, that Paul, that Paul Lowry made up the same <laughs> 10 shots. <laughs> oh my God. So Sunday you didn't tee off together, did you? And Charlie no, wasn't was, laughing. Charlie might've still been laughing, but it wasn't at Adam. It was like, but he I wouldn't was, have done I that at right. you because he knows how good Adam Scott was. That's why he was laughing. That's right. That's right. Well, and, um, so I'm right back there at eight twenty, and, um, and Adam Scott had a later tee time. He actually, I think he shot somewhere in the 65 to 67 range and goes all the way up to like T for T three. You know, he was too far back to win the thing, but he, he ends up, he ends up tied for third when, when we were uh, uh, tied for 80, 86 place (laughs) on Saturday morning, you know, he jumped up 80 places. And uh, that tells you a little uh, something about what you need to oh, you know, yeah. what level you need to play at to to make the PGA Tour and stay on it. For sure. Now, I will say I did shoot 72 on Sunday, best round of the week. Nice. So I had a I had a nice feeling. You had that going um, for you, and that's a good thing. Yeah. On on uh, So, you know, so it, it, made the, it made the drive home a little sweeter. You know, sure. I didn't. Well, doing your I, best, I right. To, Shooting your best for the weekend. The last day just means you didn't implode. You stuck with it. Exactly. Well, sure. Yeah. And um, <laughs> right. the, I... I well, I stayed with this family. That was a thing back then. You know, the, you know, they knew that all these college kids didn't have any money and expenses were tight. And so, um, members, um, would, would host, you know, host players. And so I stayed with this family and they had a, a son who was about my age and, and he, he said, Hey, I want to caddy for you. And so he ended up caddying for me on Sunday. And, um, even though he, he, he was not a good caddy, uh, um, could he carry the bags? To, 
it did help to carry the bag and have that off my shoulders. But you yeah. know, he didn't read any putts or uh, you know do anything for me. Um, That's the one problem fact- I have with caddies. <laughs> no, because I play the Ocean Club uh, Ocean Course every year, and you get a different caddy. And so I've had six different caddies, and I give them one chance on the first hole to read something. Now, usually they'll tell me something. I'll do it wrong, but I'll blame it on them. You know what I mean? And so, there you go. and after like, after a few holes, I just say to the caddy, say, if, if it's okay with you, I'm going to read my own putts. So at least I could wallow in my own failure. And, uh, <laughs> I have it. I've always had a tough time with, uh, maybe it's a trust, maybe it's trust issues. I don't know. So this could, couldn't read the greens, but he could carry your clubs. Did that make it easier for you? Did you, how was, did you, it was did, great. And, and yeah. he was having a good time and, and we were, we were just relaxed and, you know, um, and it, it just made, it made for a good day. And his yeah. parents came out the last couple holes, you know, and just, so it was, it was good was for everybody. They're, they're putting you up and you're staying with yeah, them. So that's really it was, nice. It was great. It, it was, it was very supportive. It was awesome. So we, you know, we had a great time and, and, and it was, you know, and obviously I came away with, with one of the stories I've been telling for <laughs> 20 plus years, um, playing with Adam Scott, which was a lot of fun. And then, um, I remember, um, Adam Scott, he, you know, he had some close calls in majors. I think he, he, he choked a British and then, I think the Masters was his first major. Right, it was. I remember and, him uh, putting his I, hands up I, in the air when he won. And I remember calling my dad, and I said, uh, "I said, hey, my golf resume just got better." He goes, "What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, I what did you hear. do?" I said, "Well, now I played with a major champion. I lost to a major champion." <laughs> 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 so, uh, and then. Um, uh, I got another bump when Jason Duffner won because I played with him one time. But there's no good story other than that he wasn't very nice. No, no um, kidding. With that round, <laughs> oh, <laughs> he, yeah. was, he was just a cocky college kid, you know, and uh, um, and I didn't have a good day. But yeah. anyway, here's what I find that. now, it, it, like just <laughs> kind of in closing in this story, is that I've gotten to a point in my life where I get to choose who I play with, where I play. And I only want to play with fun people. I have a tough time playing with people that take it so seriously that when there's a problem, you know, everybody's got to feel their horrible emotions and it wears on everybody. And then they start blaming other people in the foursome for their, for their problems. Oh yeah. Right. Like your buddy, you said you played with a guy, the guy who did the toast at your (laughs) wedding. (laughs) Right. We've got six minutes left. Let me hear that story. Wait, let me, because I love that story. Good. And we'll get, you know, okay, what, we're going to well, have to do another podcast to talk about Charleston uh, wine festivals. Um, absolutely. We'll do I'm, another I'm one because this available. one is, look, this is great golf stories. And I, well, most of my listeners are golf fans. So we'll finish up with this one. Let me hear this story. The guy who does the toast at your wedding. So, so great guy. We, we, we um, I was telling you, I used to have an awesome foursome in Atlanta. We, we played it almost every weekend. And, um, and about 2010 um, time frame, um, I lost them all. I, I uh, one moved to Bermuda. He's in the insurance uh, business, and he's been there ever since. Um, now he's a member at uh, Mid Ocean Club, which is a sweet, sweet course. So that's you know that's good. Um, yeah, the other guy moved to. Uh, yeah, the other guy moved to uh, San Antonio, Texas, to be closer to family. There are some great and courses the, out there. Oh, um, yeah. And yeah. I think he's a member of a, a pretty sweet one. But um, and then the fourth guy quit the game 
And, th- and this is the guy, <laughs> this is, he, he was just so frustrated and, uh, he just wasn't having fun. Uh, and he said, I'm, I'm not playing anymore. <laughs> I'm just over it. And, um, and so my, my foursome went down to just the onesome and, um, and that's where I've remained. Hey, I'll be your um, golf buddy. You come here. I'll always play with you. So, <clears throat> so on, on one particular round, this, this guy, he, he, he was a little particular about, you know, being quiet or, you know, needing, needing the, uh, uh, stillness total fo- and, he and total focus, total focus. So, yeah. so on one shot that, that didn't go well, he kind of turned around real quick and he, and he looked at our buddy, Joel and he's moving a little bit, man. Come on. And Joel's, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, you know, my, my mistake, you know, um, and so two holes later though, uh, Avery's his name. He, he, he hits another wayward shot and without missing a beat, I just look at him and I go, you going to blame that one on Joel too. <laughs> Joel was probably a hundred yards behind him. Some other place in the woods looking for his ball. <laughs> <laughs> and, and now he, he, he isn't an angry golfer. He's a frustrated golfer, but so he immediately, uh, burst out laughing and he was, he was kind of conceding that, okay, you got me, you got me. I'm a jerk. Type but of thing. Uh, yeah, but he's um, like, so. but at least he had the wherewithal to recognize himself and oh, the fact yeah, that, okay, exactly. I'm, I'm the problem here. Nobody else. <laughs> I am the problem. <laughs> right. Yeah. It, it just, it was a perfect, it was a perfect moment. And, uh, and we had, we had a lot of fun with that. That's so, fun. um, well, Mike, I, I got I it. Just, We're coming I just, up. I just wish he would pick up golf again. That's my only. Cause you like the guy. Only wish yeah, cause it's fun. yeah. Well, <laughs> is, does he, has he raised his kid? Does he have kids? He doesn't. Yeah. He does. Um, so now it's just him. And has he picked up sailing or fishing or something like that? You know, I don't, I don't know what hobby he, he works out a lot. So he's, he's in the gym and you know, he's, He's taking he could care take of his, his body. Yeah, he could take his frustration yeah. out on the weights. Yeah, for sure. But there's nothing like golf. And so I don't know. I don't know. Uh, you know, think, think of the, the golfers in your life. Do you know anyone who's quit? There's no one else in my life who's quit golf. No. You know, people who are actually into it. No, my dad uh, got me into golf. And what my, my dad, when he got into his, he retired at 70. He worked too long as far as, but, you know, it was a, he, had, he was making a good living and it gave him flexibility. But he would get really frustrated on the golf course. And I'd always tell people, I tell the story about playing with these guys with them. We just meet them and we get to the third hole. And you know how you forget people's names like after the first hole, right? You have to write it down. Otherwise you forget their names. These guys forgot my dad's name and they go to me. My dad's up to hit this shot on this hole that he always, he fucks up all the time. And he's going to hit a shot and these guys are like, Hey, excuse me. What would you say your dad's name was? Like they're whispering to me and I'm like, wait for it. I'm like, what? I go, you'll hear it. My dad hits this horrible (laughs) shot and he goes, Robin, Robin, you idiot. And I look at him and I'm like, it's Robin, but you can call him Bob. And it was, they cracked up and it was just like, my dad would get that way. He would like, you know, but he was the nicest guy, but he would get frustrated. And what he would do when he got done golfing is first you go to the 19th hole, you have that one drink and he's himself again and he's fun to be with. Then what he does is he goes fishing. It's like, cause he lived, they lived uh, down in St. Pete, right by the water. And my dad to just kind of relax, would go out with these waiters on, walk out and just start fishing. And that those two hours of fishing would bring him back to reality again. And he'd come back, happy guy, open a bottle of wine, but on a golf course, 
Yeah. I mean, he could have quit. He could have been that guy. <laughs> but what would happen is he'd come back and hit that miraculous shot because he was pretty good. I think right. he was like his best. He was like a nine or a 10 handicap. And he would hit that shot and he'd have belief. But the problem is his expectations were every shot's going to be like that. Right. And that's not golf. Well, Mike, listen, we've talked for an hour. We're going to have to do this again because I want to talk Absolutely. about uh, Charleston Wine Festivals. I've been to three of them. Um, I've been to two mimosas and one wine and I, all three with Tracy and we have had the best times and I want to talk more about that. Uh, and I want to give you a plug for him. So we'll set up something in the future. And if you come here in December, uh, to look at that light show, uh, we'll definitely play. Absolutely. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Rich Easton, telling tales from beautiful Charleston, South Carolina. Tune in next week when I share more stories about golf in the low country with characters like Cloudy Graves, Mikey Kay, Guns, the Scandinavian sharpshooter, Billy the Kid, and a new addition to the group, Resto Mod. If you've ever played with Resto, it's like playing with two guys. One of them is Resto One. Resto One is the guy that's currently playing the course with you, a four handicap that can flirt with par whenever his restored body lets him. The other guy is the tail of Resto One, told by Resto One when he's playing with you. So on any given hole while he's playing, you'll hear the story about how oh, just the other day or the other week, he birdied or eagled or chipped in or sand-saved at this exact hole. You get two versions of Resto, today's version and yesterday's version. And all of this, according to Resto, is just a memory loss prevention exercise. The more he gets to talk about things he used to do, happens to just delay any kind of early onset of dementia or senility. And I think it just helps him to realize how good he's been in the past so that he encourages himself to hit that next great shot. And let me tell you, it works.